Our scripture today comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. For thousands of years, God has been using disruptive seasons to call his people back to faithfulness before him. For thousands of years, God has been leading his people into circumstances and situations where they long for more and where they realize that he is the only answer to their longings. I think he's doing that with us now. Normally, our lives are so full of stuff and things and distractions that it's difficult to live with any attentive longing for God. It's it's hard to hunger for God when you're full of everything else. It's hard to feel like you have need to depend on God when you have some semblance of being in control of everything all on your own. The COVID exile that I've been talking about over the last number of weeks and the exile in Scripture, but the COVID exile has exposed all of that. It exposes our issues, it highlights our deeper needs for God, it's opened up room for God in our lives once again. And in the season of exile, especially when we look scripturally, we see that exile can be disorienting, and I think we're feeling some of that, but it's not disorienting in a way that leaves us feeling lost, it's actually disorienting in a way that highlights our need to find our way home. So we see in scripture that God has used exile to do a disruptive work in the life of his people for generations, and we see that seasons of exile are kind of like a megaphone that are just screaming out the fact that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And I think this season of COVID exile is like a black light that's exposing all of the junk that we couldn't see under the light of normal day. It's creating a renewed hunger in us and a renewed longing in our souls for more of God. And I believe that if you continue to lean into that as an individual, and if we continue to lean into that as a church, that this could be a life-altering, life-defining season for us as we reconnect with God in a deeper way than maybe ever before. But here's the mind-blowing thing to me as I've been studying the Bible. The number of weeks that we've been talking about exile Um, the mind-blowing thing to me is that exile is how Christians have always understood their lives. Like in a really profound sense, if you're a follower of Jesus, this world is not your home, like Peter says in our text today. We are sojourners and exiles here. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle is talking about the way that he pursues God, and he's talking about the way that he strains forward to take hold of the promises that God has made for him. And then he, he contrasts his pursuit of God with people whose lives are too full of the things of this world to do any real hungering after God. Philippians chapter 3 verse 19 says, their end, he's talking about those who, whose lives are too full of of the things of the world, to hunger after him at all. Verse 19 says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So he says, you can live for the comforts and pleasures of having your belly full of earthly things or worldly things, or, or you can satisfy the aching hunger in your soul for the things of God. And he says the best way to do that, to satisfy that aching in your soul and to hunger after God, to be satisfied by him and him alone, the best way you can do that is to be reminded that your citizenship is in heaven. Like, I know you're watching this from home, but, but this is not our home. And to be mindful of that is very difficult at times because we live lives of comfort. We live generally lives of ease. Things are good, which means we will be tempted to think a little more of this as our home than our citizenship in heaven as home. Let's look at our text for today. 1 Peter 2 verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, as we look at just these two verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, I want us to focus on three things. I want us to look at our exilic identity. I want us to look, secondly, at our countercultural ethics. And third, I want us to look at our God-glorifying witness, our, our exilic identity, our countercultural ethics, and our God-glorifying witness. Now, if I was to say that another way, I could, I could say we need to know who we are so that we then know how to live and we understand who we live for. Knowing who we are tells us how to live and who we are living for. So first, let's look at our exilic identity. This is how we know who we are. It says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now, Peter calls his readers sojourners and exiles. Uh, in the passage immediately before this, in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2, he explains our identity as the people of Jesus a little more fully when he says this, verse 9, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, in this context, to be chosen by God is to be a citizen of heaven and therefore an exile in the world. To be called out of darkness into his marvelous light means that you're now walking in the truth of what Jesus has done and that you've been so transformed by that that you're purposed to stand out and then let that marvelous light shine through your words and deeds. To be God's people, it says a people of his own possession. That means that you're marked as different. You are holy. You are set apart. You stand out as sojourners and exiles. This world is not your home. Your citizenship is in heaven. You are living differently. You are acting differently. You are aiming at a different goal because you've been marked by God's saving work that transcends worldly things. You've been marked by his work of salvation through his son Jesus. You're different. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a sojourner and an exile. You're not home here. That's the essence of the exilic identity of Jesus' people. 
The language of sojourner and exile, it's not just some language that Peter decides he's going to use. It's actually language that he pulls from the Old Testament. The language of sojourner and exile is lifted from a story about a man who was chosen by God and then called by God to follow him in faith. That man's name is Abraham. and We actually see this sojourner and exile language in Genesis chapter 23 and when we're told the story that Abraham's wife, his beloved wife Sarah, has passed away. She has died and Abraham is looking for a place to bury her. And as he goes to the people who he is, he's not at home, as he goes to the people in the land where he finds himself, he's looking for a place to bury his wife and he calls himself a sojourner and an exile. Now, Peter, when he uses this language, this specific language, when he uses these precise terms, sojourner and exile, there's a point to it. Karen Jobes is a, has a wonderful commentary on 1 Peter. She says the terms Peter uses to describe them basically mean that as Christians, they are citizens first of God's holy nation and therefore not primarily citizens, i.e. sojourners and exiles, of the society in which they live, to whatever extent the two conflict. With the allusion to Abraham, he reminds his readers that they stand in a long tradition of people who were chosen by God and called to be sojourners and exiles in the places where they lived. There's a point to the language that he's using. See, Abraham was a man who walked by faith toward the promises that God had made him, but as he walked by faith toward those promises, he found that God had even greater things in store for him. We can read a little bit of that if we look at Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and when he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So for our purposes as we look at this, that's what it means to walk by faith as an exile. Knowing that you have not yet fully received what God has promised and planned for you, knowing again that home is not home. Hebrews 11, it continues on, verse 13. These, and it's talking about all of these who uh, are mentioned in this chapter who are people who live by faith, it says these all lived, or pardon me, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, that's a very quick flyover of why the language is imported from Genesis chapter 23 and, and used here by Peter in a specific way, talking about sojourners and exiles. But here's the point. When Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, he is invoking a whole history of God's people thriving in exile. Walking by faith and trusting God in exile is actually part of our identity as God's people. 
Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's our exilic identity. This is how we know who we are. And that leads to understanding then how we are supposed to live. This is our countercultural ethics. When we know who we are, we then know how to live. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll read verse 11 again. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. All right, this is Peter calling us to live out our identity as exiles and citizens of heaven by paying attention to the heavenly standard of holiness here and now. See, if, if, we're, paying, uh, if we're paying attention to the call of God in our lives, and I th- if we're paying attention to the call of God in our lives, then we're going to notice how countercultural the exilic identity really is. Peter's saying there is a battle being fought for your faithfulness to God. There is a war being waged against your soul with a tension between following the patterns of the world and following the way of Jesus. Right? Peter gets at this earlier in his letter. In chapter 1, verses 14 through 19, he's speaking to this fact, this, this countercultural ethical call to honor God with your holiness. He's speaking to that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That means that it was costly for us to be ransomed and saved. It was costly for us to grab a hold of this new identity. See, the reason why it matters in terms of how we live, the reason it matters how we live is that we were not ransomed with silver and gold. We were ransomed by the blood of Christ. It's very costly for us to receive this new identity as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's very costly for us to be saved. Therefore, it matters how we live in light of our identity in a way that honors God. See, ethics are the way that uh, we live. Ethics are what govern the way that we live. The way that we look at our lives and the way that we live before God, we, we live out of an understanding of what it means to be his people. And the way we live, if we're living in light of who we are as God's people, will always be countercultural when compared to any other culture in the world. We're called to something different. See, the way we look at, just for example, the uh, unholy trinity of idols, money, sex, and power, The way we look at our sexuality, the way we look at our wealth, the way we look at our power and influence, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we stewarding our sexuality and our wealth and our power and our influence for our own selfish gain in our own sinful desire, or are we submitting those in obedience to God that we might live in countercultural holiness here in this season of exile? 
Like, are we taking stock of our personal holiness and how we live? Um, Tim Keller describes two ways that the early church employed countercultural ethics, and I just want to read what he said. He said, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body, and they gave practically everybody their money. There's something we need to pay attention to in this. Uh, John Tyson said, we live in a world that has indulgence fatigue. We are actually sick of seeing people live for sex, money, and power in a constant cycle of burnout. Instead of being driven by sex, money, and power, we must be driven by faithfulness, generosity, and servanthood. We still enjoy the great gift of God that is human sexuality, but we do so in a faithful covenantal framework. We still experience the goodness of God that is granted through wealth, but we do it with a spirit of generosity and sharing. We still occupy positions of influence, but we do not use that power to build our own kingdoms. We do it to serve others in the spirit of Christ. See, our call, our purpose is to live as citizens of heaven who are so transformed that we live as heavenly exiles with heavenly ethics that stand out as countercultural beacons of light and hope to the world around us. This is what God has purposed for us in our generation. See, our exilic identity and how we walk by faith and how we long for God and how we long for our heavenly home, that's all manifested in the way that we live out these countercultural ethics in the here and now. We do that to honor God, yes, of course. But Peter wants us to know that God is not the only one watching. We've looked at our exilic identity. We've looked at our countercultural ethics. And third, we need to now look at our God-glorifying witness. To know who we are determines how we are called to live. And how we're called to live says something about who we're living for. Let me show you 1 Peter 2. We'll read verses 11 and 12 together. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, Peter is saying your identity is God's exilic people who walk by faith and pay attention to the battle for your soul, for your holiness, and pay attention to the way that you live. All of that, he is saying, prepares the way for a God-glorifying witness. So if we're going to live a life where God is glorified by our witness, it means that some people who do not yet know Jesus and do not yet trust Christians are going to need some access to see what we're up to. They're going to need to see some good deeds done by Jesus' people in Jesus' name. And then this text says they may respond by believing and glorifying God on the day of visitation. Now, I don't have time for this, but if you want to do a really fun exercise, go to Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, go to verse 16, and do the parallel work, because I think in verse 12 here in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is just repeating what he heard Jesus teach in the Sermon on the Mount, and I think it parallels so beautifully. Talking about letting our light shine before others, that they may glorify our Father in heaven. I think it's an exact parallel. 
This here, though, is talking about keeping the future return of Jesus in mind as we seek to live for the peace of the city where we find ourselves. Okay, I, I just want you to hear me. If you've been tracking through this series, Thriving in Exile, I just want you to hear me. This is no different than the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah to those who were in exile in Babylon that we looked at a few weeks ago in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. He said, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. See, seeking the welfare of the city and seeking to witness to the truth of the gospel in a God-glorifying way is something that we are all called to do. It's what one author has called faithful presence. Faithful presence. He, he, he talks a lot about how uh, the exiles were to be a faithful presence in Babylon, but how we too are called to be a faithful presence in the city where we find ourselves now. Here's what he means. He says, faithful presence first calls Christians to attend to the people in places that they experience directly. It is not that believers should be disconnected from or avoid responsibility for people in places across the globe. Far from it. Christians are called to go into all the world, after all, and to carry the good news in word and deed that God's kingdom has come. But with that said, the call for faithful presence gives priority to what is right in front of us, the community, the neighborhood, and the city, and the people of which these are constituted. See, the people who will perhaps see our good deeds and eventually glorify our Heavenly Father are people we are directly interacting with on a regular basis. See, kingdom life has something to do with proximity and the embodied reality that we are neighbors, that we embody a place and time. Faithful presence is speaking to those things. How are people going to see the goodness of God if they don't know us? How are they going to hear the message of the gospel if we don't speak it? How will they hear it if we're not in proximity to them? Faithful presence is important. Um, let me give you just one example of, of what I think this might look like for us in the weeks ahead. Um, we've had generous people come to us as a church, and some of them are Christians and some of them are not, and they've basically said, we have money and you know people. Do you know people with needs that if we give you money, you can help meet those needs? And our answer was yes, of course. So we've received thousands of dollars of benevolence money that we have been able to pass to people who are finding themselves in hardship and need in this season. All that I want to say is, if you've got somebody in your life who's in need, whether they're part of the body of Christ City or they're not part of the body of Christ City, or whether they're a follower of Jesus or they're not a follower of Jesus, would you go to the website, click on the care plan, and go and fill out one of the forms that will help us to be able to resource those people, people that you nominate for uh, some of the benevolence money that we've received, we will gift them some cash uh, through a gift card, and we'll gift it to them in the name of Jesus. See, we have funds that we would love to release to people in need, but particularly we have funds that we would love to release to people in need in Jesus' name. I, I just want to say, who knows what kind of conversations that could lead to with people who have not yet encountered Jesus. This is something we want to be able to do in this season. So please go to the website, fill out the form, and let us know how we can help. See, the only way that we can live with a God-glorifying witness is if we understand and live out our countercultural ethics, which are all based on our exilic identity, 
where we know and value the reality that through the work of Jesus, we've all been made citizens of heaven. So when we know who we are and we know how we're called to live, then we're free to live that out in full view of the watching world around us in gospel work, in gospel word, in gospel deed. We're able to be a blessing to those who have not yet been introduced to Jesus. This is what we're aiming at. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We have an exilic identity. We live out exilic or we live out uh, a countercultural ethic and our God-glorifying witness is tied to that as we live that out faithfully before God and before others, giving people an opportunity to come to believe that he is who he says he is. The end of verse 12 drives this point home really well, I think. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12, the second half of verse 12, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, what does it mean that people who are not followers of Jesus would glorify God in some way? Well, uh, New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner says, typically in the New Testament, people glorify God or give him glory by believing. Hey, the way people who don't yet know God end up glorifying him is by repenting of their sin, turning and placing their faith and trust in Jesus in the finished work of Jesus on their behalf, and coming to believe the truth of the gospel. That is how they glorify God. And the day of visitation tells us that we're looking forward to his soon return. Again, this is part of our longing as exiles. This is what we long for. We long for people to come to know and glorify Jesus, and we long for him to come and take us home. The promise to us who follow Jesus, like we saw last week, is that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and that he is the way home. He doesn't give us a roadmap or a plan. He is a person who says, follow me. In the church of Jesus, I believe with all my heart, is at its best when we're keeping our eyes fixed on the crucified and risen Jesus. When we're paying attention to our blood-bought holiness. And when we're serving the city around us, even as we long for the day of his visitation. If you're gathered together with your house church, this is now time to prepare to move through the liturgy and to celebrate communion. Uh, If you're gathering with your house church online at some point, you might want to spend some time lingering in this in prayer. Read through the text. Meditate on it. Ask God to reveal himself to you in new and fresh ways. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and minister to you. It's the time when we celebrate communion where we are reminded of the body and blood of Jesus as he died in our place and for our sin. And so your house church online leaders are going to walk you through that. And to God's glory, you can celebrate communion together. Let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and that you have most fully revealed your love for us in your son, Jesus. God, I ask you that you would help us to be people who embody the reality that we are citizens of heaven. Father, I ask you that we would live out our blood-bought holiness well in a way, Lord, where our witness to the truth of who you are is glorifying to you and that other people can access that knowledge of who you are through the way that we live. Lord, help us to be good news people in word and deed and help us to pass this along even in this strange season when we can't gather. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.